Need a quick hit of Marketing Smarts inspiration? Here it is. We have lifted portions of our Marketing Smarts episodes for those of you who need a quick jolt of marketing savviness right now. Refer to the description for how to find a longer form version. And with that, here it is. All right. And our next segment is in the trenches where we give real world examples that may be specific to industries or situations, but with broad application for anyone to digest and put them into action. Number one, how do I assess whether a name is quote unquote good or not? And Mm -hmm. I will take this one because I love success criteria. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So outside of what we said above, which hopefully sets the stage for how to think about naming, what a good name is, our personal feelings on what makes a good name. The other thing to do is to have success criteria because this is what will allow you and your stakeholders to evaluate the names objectively and, again, pull yourselves out of your personal feelings about it. So we have always been a fan of kind of a scale. So, for example, one to five. Side note, always make it an odd number. (laughs) Um, But a scale of one to five. And the criteria should include things that – will allow you to, again, objectively assess if this is a good name. So the first one is memorability. How easy is it to recall the name once you hear it? One of the exercises we would often do is not put this criteria in front of people and then ask them out of a you know deck of five to eight names which ones came to mind first that you could remember, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uniqueness. Does it stand out from others in the space? So, you know, if you have a list of your competition or even others in the category to the point we were making about, you know, things like the nest crossing category is fine. But if that was the name of something, some other business in your category, but not a direct competitor, that might become problematic. So Mm -hmm. how unique is it? How much does it stand out from others in the space? How ownable is it? So Anne gave these really good examples like Elevate. (laughs) Those in theory might sound like good names because maybe no one else has it in your space, but does it really mean what you intended to? And does it encapsulate what you want people to remember about your business, brand, or product? And finally, clarity. So, how well does it deliver? How well does it connect with what you offer? And Anne has mentioned a few times the emotional aspects of things and being able to get to that level. Does the consumer intuitively understand when they hear the name? Is it clear what you do? I don't have anything to add. <laughs> wow. Twice in one episode, I look up to well, Anne and there's nothing. Yeah, it's good success criteria. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I think that, those are the success criteria. All right. Point made. Mm-hmm. Number two, I'm on a roll now. All right. In naming a business, what's your perspective on using the names of the owners versus not? Okay. So this is a big one. And it comes up often. I will have perspective on this one. I know you will have perspective on this one. So, okay. I I got my one for the year. Um, (laughs) So when it comes to using names, and I feel like this comes up most often when we're talking about naming businesses, right? Because if you are the creator, the natural tendency is to consider using your name to be able to tie that legacy to the product, brand, or business. In this case, like we said, typically business. So what we would ask you is, 
Number one, does the name have a legacy in the space you are entering? So, mm. you know, was a relative of yours a founder in the space? Or um, is it a well-known uh, last name in the area, for example, where it's going to draw a connection just because of what your last name is, right? Is it truly unique to that? Um, like for me, for example, Martini is one that people remember outside of the west side of Cincinnati. When you're over there, it may as well be Smith. So you probably wouldn't (laughs) want to use that. (laughs) Um, Is it the intent of the founder to make a very close family tie to the legacy of the brand? And then with that, do you have people that are interested in being part of that legacy of the brand? So in other words, if the intention is for generations to take over for generations to come, then it may make sense to use the last name. But our rule of thumb is really to think about how closely you as the founder or group of founders want to be tied to the business, its success, and its legacy. And if you're going to be the face, that likely makes sense. But think about then again what that means for your role in the organization and how closely tied you need to be. Because on the other side, it can be pretty limiting when you mm-hmm. think about the the business moving forward beyond just the family members, the founders, or the people that are that closely tied to the name and what that means. On the other side, if the founder does not want to be the face, then truly the last name should not be tied to the company. It's much better because of the points made above to tie the name to what the business offers, especially if there is no natural connection between the last name and what you're putting out there. People just aren't going to automatically remember your last name as being tied with what you are offering. And then the last thing I will say is please beware of using multiple names together. I feel like there's lots of law offices that Mm-hmm. <laughs> are really culprits of this, right? Connor, Achani, and Levy, I feel like is one that I hear all the time. And I'm like, what a mouthful. Um, but it can get really, really complicated. So I worked for an agency that used the last name of the f- three founders, and it worked really well. It was called Laga. So Lipson, Alport, Glass, and Associates. And it made a really nice logo. And Laga was unique to the space. And it made all the sense in the world, right? Until we were going to merge with DeGripco Bay, which was two other last names. And so then the discussion became, do we become Laga DG? Do we extend to all these names as part of it? Um, So the situation can get really dicey because all of those founders were still very much associated with the brands. And so... That's something where you might just want to think about what the future is going to look like for the brand. And, you know, back to the law example, if it's just you starting out, well, what if you hire another partner or two partners or four partners? What is going to be the long term effect of choosing a last name? Yeah, all really, really good points. And the one additional one I'll make here is that, you know, it, it can work to use your name and still build a legacy around it that isn't related to you, if you focus that legacy or that your culture and all of that on your brand character. Yeah. So, right. So you have to develop the brand character that is actually connotated by the name. Yep. 
um, which is elements of your personal brand that you want to pull in, like we've talked about before, or it's what you want the business or how you want the business to show up or the vision you're trying to achieve or whatever that looks like. So it is possible, and we're gonna, I'm going to actually use some examples later in one of the In the Trenches questions, to be able to make that name, create a legacy outside of you as the founder, but you have to be very intentional in doing that. Yeah, I, I think that's a very good point, right? And yeah, I mean, we would be remiss not to say that. It it is fine if it's done with intention, but you have to like you said create the brand character, not just assume that who you are is going to translate into the business. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Yep. All right, number 3 in the trenches. How involved should the consumer, customer, client base be in the naming process, Anne? Yes. Yeah, so this is where we say that it really needs to be inspired by your consumer because we said it needs to be locked with what your consumer is expecting and, and what your consumer is going to want from a brand like you. But if you go and you ask your consumer what it should be, you're going to be sorely disappointed <laughs> because they're not going to be able to articulate it for you, mm-hmm. right? And so that is the one thing that you need to really watch when you go and you start sensing names with consumers and doing your consumer research. So instead of like asking them very direct questions about what name would you like for this business or brand, which we hear, we see a lot in discussion guys, and we're like, um, no, we nope. cross that off. We say things like, here are five names. What name can you re- can you recall from mm-hmm. these five names when you ask them like five minutes later? Yep, you know, or what name do you think really signifies this kind of image that we mm-hmm. want to produce? Or what name are you the most emotionally connected with? Like, it goes back to that criteria that April mentioned earlier, and you build your questions around that to see if your consumer can tie what they want from the brand to the name that you're proposing for the brand. Mm-hmm. And that's the way you kind of have to triangulate it. You can't ask directly or you're not going to get the right answer because – What's going to happen is it's going to become a popularity contest. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like that name because I like the way it sounds. Or I don't like that name because I don't like the way it sounds. And maybe that the total fine name, it if it delivers on the criteria, but people are reacting emotionally to it, which is part of the criteria, but it's not the only piece of the criteria, mm-hmm. right? So ultimately, you need to make the final call. So you need to be able to process and synthesize all that feedback you get and make sure it aligns with the other parts of the business that make sense. Again, everything that you had said, April, with regards to what's already in the industry, how unique is it? Um, is this going to be able to be scaled eventually? Is this going to stand as be a standalone product or is it going to be a family of products underneath that? And do I need to think about that? So there's lots of things that you need to think about in the context of naming, both in the short term and the long term. That's outside of what the consumer is going to provide you insight on. But you should get insight from your consumer for sure. Mm -hmm. You just need to be able to um, manage it appropriately so that the data is used appropriately in the decision-making process. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, too often the consumer word was taken as like Bible, right? Right. (laughs) It was like, okay, they said they liked this one, to your point, Anne, but then the reason why they said they liked it had nothing to do with the brand or the business or whatever you were trying to communicate. So it's really about listening to what they're saying and then hearing it for what it is. And you have to do the analysis to see if it really ties back to the intention or not, because this is where you as the founder or you know the person responsible for this business or whatever, you have to be the one to gut check that side of it because the consumer's not involved there. Right. Exactly right. 
All right, number four in the trenches. In your mind, what makes a successful name? And I think we can both tackle this one.、Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so I will say I love love when a name becomes a verb or synonymous with a category.、Mm. And I also love digging into why this may have happened and assessing why it didn't happen to others in the category. And so, one that is, you know, very historic and iconic is Kleenex. Right? Oh, jeez! You say I need a Kleenex, sure, I need and I know Anne's gonna cry because Puffs is P and G. So, but the fact that that you know Kleenex over Puffs became synonymous with the category. So now you say I need a Kleenex just as often as you say. I need a tissue, and so that's one. Now, more recently, when it comes to the verb side of things, you have Uber.、Yep. People say, "I'm going to Uber there." No one says, "I'm going to Lyft there." And so, obviously, Uber was the first mover, and I'm sure that has some something to do with it. But when you he- when you think of that name, it just fits that much more into the verb like quality than the word Lyft. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Another one, Roomba. So I talked about this before in the episode,、um, but people name their Roombas, which I did not know,、um, but we did it naturally when we got ours. So we named ours Jeffrey because he was the butler on the Prince of Bel Air. Oh yeah, and I've I did some reading. I went down a bit of a rabbit hole here, but. Um, a lot of people name theirs Rosie because, which was a better name, because Rosie was a robot and the Roomba is a robot and cleans the、sense. house. Yeah. So anyway, that's one where it kind of takes on a life of its own, and I have to think that over time, that has the potential to overtake the word vacuum potentially, right? Like Roomba for the category instead. So anyway, just some you know thoughts overall there. I think.、Um, There's obviously a lot of stuff that goes into when these things happen, and it's not just necessarily the name doing all of the heavy lifting. But I personally love naming, and I would personally love to be able to name something that becomes as iconic as these examples. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point because I mean, it was the bane of our existence to try to figure out why people were saying Kleenex versus Puffs. Or at least like just tissue versus Kleenex. <laughs> I mean, and once it's ingrained, it's really hard to undo. But there is something just very colloquial and very clean and very clear about how these words start kind of appearing in the vernacular, making、mm-hmm. it very easy to say in a sentence. Like I want a puffs for some reason just does not、no. feel as smooth and easy as I want a Kleenex. Like、mm-hmm. clean, like the clean, clean. Kleenex part. It just makes sense. So,、mm-hmm. you know, if you're trying to think about that, think about how people are going to use it in a sentence, and it helps you to understand how easy is it going to be to articulate, to recommend, to use, and and you know, and, and just kind of the the jargon of our everyday conversations,、mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I'm sure there's a linguistic analysis that could help us with all this, but yeah, it's it's not extremely、us. fascinating,、yep. you know. Um, but I, I so I agree with everything you said, and I'll I'll build on that, and I'm going to make it a very stretch. Um, oh, no. One, yeah. So you know, <laughs> but you know how I like to operate,、um, and that's if the name transcends the product to become part of pop culture. And now it takes what you said just kind of a little bit to the next level. So, you know, Tide. I'll just start with Tide, like a basic one that has of become. Of course, you'll start with of Tide. Course. Well, I mean, it's part of pop culture. Now, ironically, when people ask, well, you know, where did the the, the name Tide come from? It's more of a like a. 
kind of a mythical story than it is a real story because mm. it it's not documented, but it's believed it's because um, – the, uh, the the person who created Tide was standing on the beach and saw the tide come in and saw like the um, the foam and the the mm. bubbles created by the water and it kind of connected in its head but that was um, that was you know Byerly but that was like more you know myth mm-hmm. than you know nobody knew if that, that was if that was really it. true yeah. but like that's the story we use there but it also has become very iconic so people love the Tide Lose of Hope t-shirts that have the, the iconic like mm-hmm. Thai logo to the fact that when we mm-hmm. actually They're retro now it's very yeah. retro but went to the point when we actually redid them and it didn't look so retro people didn't like those mm-hmm. as much mm-hmm. right so there's definitely something like that transcends just the fact that that's a laundry detergent to something that's a little bit more emotional mm-hmm. a little bit more connected in culture um, also like no matter where you go in, in Alabama and all the bars you'll see the roll tide you'll see toilet paper and you'll see the tide bottle like i mean it's just it's just there right yeah. and so that helps you know to kind of connect in people's minds um something that's outside of the actual basic product benefit and now when i was talking before too about how you can take names and transcend names to a brand character like harley davidson mm-hmm. right is a is a really big one harley is a bike yes but it is an attitude yep. it is a lifestyle is how people like connect to community mm-hmm. like even if you don't have a bike mm-hmm. i mean so that was like a name but it was able to transcend the basic product that it was actually named for same thing with hurley so hurley was the founder of a brand that became like the quintessential brand for um surfers today it is still has that spirit of kind of being like this um th- this this free spirited kind of brand this legacy brand even though he never long he does longer owns the brand like mm-hmm. it's been sold yep. so i mean but it was his name and the way that he even like used his name in um the logo mm-hmm. really was intentional in order to bring that brand character out mm-hmm. without it having to be tied to exactly who he is yep Right. So a, a lot of connections to who he is, but was able to live outside of just him. So brand continues to live on and does really well, despite the fact that he doesn't even own it anymore. Yeah. And I want to go back real quick to the Harley Davidson example, because that is one that I feel like being part of the brand and agency community. Right. You're like, oh, if I got to come up with that one. Right. Yeah. Um, but the interesting thing that we didn't touch on today, but is when the name has a power to call something into your mind where you see a picture of whatever Mm -hmm. associated with that brand. And then you can, as the consumer, you automatically opt in or out. Like that is me. That is not me. Right. And so I think Harley Davidson is one of those where it's a polarizing brand and I am not part of the Harley Davidson culture, but I have total respect for the, the community that surrounds it, what it represents. I mean, when you see a group of 30 riders on the highway together, like the sense of community, I mean, it is a brand that definitely knows who it belongs to. And there is a respect from people that are part of it and people that are not. And it's very differentiated from the rest of the market. Oh, absolutely. Right? Yes. And it was intentionally created to be that way. Yes. Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com. We can help you become a savvier marketer through coaching or training you and your team or doing the work on your behalf. Please also help us grow the podcast by rating and reviewing on your player of choice and sharing with at least one person. 
right now, go show off your marketing smarts.